All right. How's it going, guys? You guys doing good? Yeah? <laughs> you guys are so quiet. This is so trippy. We're going to look back on pictures of everyone in masks and stuff and go, that was such a strange time. But uh, thank you for loving your neighbor by wearing masks. Masks, that's kind of a fun word to say. Anywho, okay, hey, uh, we're in a series right now. We're going through the Gospel of Luke. We're going to jump right in, actually, because we have uh, quite a bit of stuff to cover. And I want to make sure that this is, uh, comes across right. Today we're going to talk about prayer. I'm gonna talk, we're going to talk about prayer. And I know when I say that, it can be kind of like, wah, wah, that's kind of boring. But I'm telling you, I think the way that we look at prayer is not the way God wants us to look at it. And hopefully through the, the way that Jesus taught us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, it's going to reframe the whole thing for us. I don't know about you, but I grew up, well, I grew up in a Korean Presbyterian church, but then, then I left the church because uh, I didn't like my church growing up. And then when I came back to church in high school, that's a whole other story. When I came back to church in high school, uh, there was this sense of like prayer was this way for you to convince God to give you stuff that you want. That if I get the formula right, if I pray with enough eloquence like I'm on Meet the Fockers, or if I like uh, pray long enough in the right location enough, I pray in the right sequence, if I wear the right stuff, then God will do what I want him to do. And I think that's the exact opposite of what prayer is for. And then you have thoughts like this, like what's the point of prayer? Does God like not know what I need? Or is God like surprised? Or is my goal like to, to be like, a, a, like a lawyer presenting my case and God's going to go, good point. You can, I never thought about it that way. Like you can have it. Like what is the point of prayer? We're actually going to talk about uh, that. So hopefully this whole thing gets reframed. We're going to dive right in. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Luke 11, verse 1, it says, Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, so Jesus having his own personal prayer time, uh, if you grew up in church, you might call that a quiet time, right? Which is kind of an interesting thing to say. But he was in his prayer time. And it says, as he was finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray just as John taught his disciples. And so the disciples see Jesus praying. They're like, we want some of that. Like, can you teach us how to do that? Because here's just a principle. You don't know until you know. You know what I mean? So if you're new to church, if you're new to faith, or maybe you've been around it long enough and you feel like, shoot, I've been around church long enough, I should know how to do these things, I feel dumb asking. Okay, this is at the, towards the end of three years of Jesus' disciples, and they've never learned how to pray. Okay, so don't ever feel like you have a dumb question, like I've been in church long enough, I should know how to do this. Just ask. I can't tell you how many times I've had people come up after they've been in church for like 10 years and go, okay, I have this question I've always wanted. Why do people raise their hands in worship? Like, I, I feel like I missed a class, but can you explain that to me, right? It's, there, there are no dumb questions. Well, I guess there, I get there, there's probably dumb questions, but um, what you're seeing here is Jesus praying, his disciples seeing him pray, and saying, will you teach me how to do that? What this is, this is discipleship. This is discipleship. See, I think we overcomplicate discipleship. I mean, look at it this way. If you're a Christian, right, if you're a Christ follower, then what that means is that you're not only called to be a disciple, you are called to be a disciple maker. You realize that? That, you're, that you're, your goal of being a Christian isn't to be like a nice person and cuss less than you used to. That, that's not the goal of Christianity. The goal is that not only are you supposed to be a disciple, you're supposed to be a disciple maker. Now here's the thing, I know when I say that, some of you guys are really intimidated. Going, oh, I never went to seminary. Like, I don't know how to answer questions. I don't know the seven-step process to lead someone to a Lord or teach them how to read the Bible. And we make it way more complicated than it needs to be. 
We get paralyzed by fear. We think that we have to wear like a sandwich board and preach doom and gloom on the street corner. Like that is not what you're called to do as a disciple maker. Let me boil it down really simply. Discipleship is simply going after God around others. That's it. It's going after God around others. It's really simple. So Jesus was going after God. He was praying. His private life kind of bubbled over into his public life. People noticed and said, will you teach me how to do that? Pursue God privately. That'll bubble over into your public life and people will notice. So you want to inspire others to read the Bible? Read the Bible. Consistently. Privately. And you'll start to read it publicly and people will notice that and they'll say, can you teach me how to read the Bible? You want to inspire people to be generous? You're frustrated people aren't generous? Then just be generous. And people will see that and go, can you teach me how to do that? Because I don't understand how your brain works. I don't want to do that. But I want to want to do that. Right? You want to inspire people to live a life of worship? Then worship. If we want to have a culture of a church that really worships when we worship, then worship. And then those around you will say, I want some of that. Look, if you want to be a disciple maker, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have all the answers. Actually, I'm, I'm kind of leery of anyone who has all the answers. I have a lot of respect for people that have mentored me in my life that when I ask them questions, because I ask a lot of questions, annoyingly so, but when I ask them questions that they would say, I don't know, man. That's a really good question. I've never thought about that. I'll you, I guarantee you if, you, if there's someone in your life that you are praying for, that you are mentoring or coaching, or maybe that's too uh, hardcore of a, a word for you to use, but you are influencing them for Jesus maybe, and if they ask you a question, if they're like, what's Ezekiel all about? There's some trippy stuff in that book. And if you're to answer, I don't know. It's crazy to me too. You want to study it together? They're not going to lose respect for you. They'll gain respect for you. And what you're doing is discipleship. You're making a disciple. So again, discipleship is simply going after God around others. Going after God around others. We make it way more complicated. We make it be like this 23-week video course and you have to go through these three books together. Kind of a newsflash. Jesus never did any of that. Jesus' model of mentorship was, I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. You guys can come along with me. Come follow me. Do what I do. All right? So I mean, here's something to think about. If the disciples never saw Jesus praying, would they have ever asked him how to pray? Would this have ever happened if the disciples didn't? This, this whole thing was spurred on by the disciples catching Jesus praying and say, will you teach me how to do that? So here's something to think about. If your friends or family never see you excited about Jesus, if your friends or family never see you excited about your faith, if your friends or family never see you excited about your church, why would they ask you about it? Why would they ever ask you about it? But if you just go after God around others, it's just a matter of time before someone says, will you tell me more about that? So anyways, I don't want to camp on that. So they asked Jesus how to pray. And then we tend to think about prayer as kind of this magic genie in a bottle, right? How do I get God to do what I want him to do? What's the formula? You got to say it like this. If, you, if, you, if you're sick and you say you're sick, oh, that's, that's anti-faith. You can't say you're sick. God won't answer your prayers. You ever heard this kind of stuff? It's like if you don't get the formula exactly right, God won't do the thing. Because you have to have, like, your prayer has to be the right shape, like a key to unlock the promises of heaven. That's not what we see in scripture, right? It's not, there's not a formula. Or, you guys ever prayed things like this before? God, I didn't study this test. 
I didn't study for this test, but if you help me pass it, I'll serve you the rest of my life. God, this person should not say yes to prom, but if they say yes to me, I will serve you the rest of my life. God, I've created a mess in my life, but if you can get me out of this mess, this time I promise I'll serve you the rest of my life, right? Jesus is going to turn that whole view upside down. So he answers in verse 2. They ask him, how do you pray? And Jesus says in verse 2, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. I purposely picked a translation that you may not read because some of us, if we have memorized this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be, we, we, we memorize this so much, it doesn't have meaning anymore. Right? So I purposely picked a different translation to make you go, well, that's not how I memorize it. I know. So maybe it's, it's new again. So it says this. This is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins. Amen, Benji. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. You're dismissed. That's what Jesus said. So we're going to go through this verse by verse and break it down. What is Jesus trying to prove here? Is he giving us a formula or is he teaching us a way of life? And here's what he says. The first it says, um, this is how you should pray. The you is plural. This is like if you grew up in the South, this is y'all. Okay, this is how y'all should pray. The whole idea of this is not you by yourself alone. The whole idea of this is how you should pray is you corporately. We don't have time. Uh, we have, yeah, we don't have time to go into it. But I think one of the greatest and worst moments of the Christian faith was well. There's a lot of really bad moments, but one of the one of the greatest and worst moments in one is the printing press. Before the Gutenberg press, and the Bible was one of the first things. I think the first thing ever printed there. But before that, there was never this terminology of this is a personal relationship with God. You never heard people say, oh, th- th- you, can't, you can't tell me not to do that. That's between me and God. You never had that because before that, people didn't have, you know, there weren't Bibles for left-handed, n- nearsighted soccer moms like there are today. There's 86 kinds of Bibles for left-handed, nearsighted soccer moms alone, right? Which color do you want, right? Which translation do you want? Back then, it was the town Bible, or the church Bible, or maybe the family had one Bible before the printing press. So we were forced to come into community to talk about the Word of God. Then once the printing press was formed, it became this personal thing. There is a personal dynamic, but our faith since inception was meant to be done in community. And we feel that right during the pandemic. When we're isolated, it just feels off. There's still value, there's still opportunity, but it just feels off which is why, I'm assuming that's why you guys are here in person. So you is meant to be in community. Then it says, Father. Starts out with Father. Father, I think Jesus starts it out this way because he wants to understand the context of our relationship. If you actually look at the word Father, it goes back to the Aramaic word Abba. Abba, not the band, okay? It's like, wow, Jesus had really good taste in music. Nothing to do with that. It's this Aramaic word Abba, which means daddy. Not father, like father's coming home for dinner, like not that kind of father, this distant, he's going to be in his study doing work until he comes and eats with us and then he's going away again. Not that kind of father. This is Abba. This is daddy. Jesus is saying when you look at God, when you pray, don't look at him as, as this distant figure. When you look at God the father, when you look at God Abba, daddy, picture the dad kneeling down as his toddler is running up. This is Father. Picture the dad throwing his kid in the air, making the wife really nervous, right? This is Abba. This is Father. That's the context of this. 
God isn't distant. He's not this distant judge or this distant cop in the sky. He cares about you. He's not waiting for you to mess up. Some of you guys grew up in church where you kind of felt that, that God is just waiting for you to mess up so he can get you. That's not the context. God cares about you. God is interested in you. God wants the best for you like any good daddy would. So Jesus, we got to start there. Father. Then he says, may your name be kept holy. Or you may have heard it, hallowed be thy name. Right? Hallowed or hallowed means revered, consecrated, set apart, sacred, venerated. This is, this is this idea of there's everything in normal life, common life, and then there's a sacred. There's this holy. There's this set apart. We need to keep holy things holy. Right? The opposite of consecrated would be desecrated. Desecrated. When you desecrate someone's grave or an altar or a temple or whatever, what you're doing, you're taking something set apart and holy and you're making it common. Right? And what Jesus is saying here is, hallowed be your name. Would your name be kept holy, sacred, revered, set apart? That would my actions, God, bring you honor? Would my prayers bring you honor? but also the converse. God, would my desires, what I pray about, would it not desecrate your name? Would it not bring dishonor to your name? Right, so this is like the, the, the artist that wins a Grammy for their music that is not holy, put it that way, and then when they accept the Grammy, it's like, I wanna you know, thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's like, really? That's desecrating the name. That is dishonoring the name of God. So he says, Father, may your name be kept holy. I'll do everything I can to keep it holy. Then it says, may your kingdom come soon. Or may your kingdom come. May your will be done. Right? That may your, may your kingdom come soon. Kingdom is something that I don't think we understand because I don't think any of us have grown up in a kingdom. Like truly a kingdom, unless you grew up in like Swaziland. Right? I don't think any of us grew up, I don't think any of us did, uh, grew up in a kingdom. So we don't, we don't get that. What a kingdom simply is, and we, you see this verbiage, I think why we mistranslate the Bible or misunderstand the Bible so many times is when you hear like kingdom of God or seek first the kingdom of God, what it's talking about, kingdom is the reign and rule of somebody. It's where the extent of someone's authority. So when a baby is born, their reign and rule, their kingdom extends to the edge of their skin. Pretty much, Right? They're not like building buildings or, you know, running organizations. They, they're trying to control just their body. Sometimes when you get old enough, your, your kingdom may extend to your bed or your room or your half of the vanity, right? If you start a business, your, your, your reign and rule, your will would be done, executed in your facilities that you own as a business. If you are a president of a nation, then your reign and rule extends to the a nation that your will would be done in that nation, right? That's the extent of your kingdom. And so what you're saying here, what Jesus is saying is, would your reign and rule take over all of creation again? And here's what's important. When we're called apostolos, apostles, ambassadors, as translated many times in your Bible, what that is saying is wherever you are at, you're an outpost, you're an embassy of the kingdom of heaven. Does that make sense? You're an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven so that whatever the kingdom, whatever, the, whatever God would want to be done, when you are at work, your cubicle is an extension of the kingdom of heaven. You understand how that works? Your 
uh, your CrossFit gym, your sports team, your workplace, your family is an, is an extension of the kingdom of heaven. When we say, God, would your kingdom be expanded? We're not talking about building being, uh, buildings for churches. What we're saying is whenever, when we are right now the church gathered, when we're the church scattered, the kingdom of heaven expands. Because wherever you go, as long as you are expanding the kingdom of heaven, God's presence lives and his reign and rule extends to that location. Does that make sense? So this is not about getting what I want. Okay, Prayer is not about, God, how can I get you to do what I want? Prayer is not about getting God to do, how do I get you to do what I want? The whole point of this is where we start to see it shift. The point of prayer is, God, how can I get myself to do what you want? You see the difference? It's not about, God, how can I pray right to get you to do what I want? It's about, God, how do I so reconcile my heart to you that I do what you want? That my reign and rule but it would be your reign and rule in my life. Does that make sense? So may your kingdom come soon where I live. Then he says, give us each day the food we need. Give us each day the food we need. What that means is it's a first understanding of what God, that God knows what we need. Again, good father, good daddy, good Abba, right? Growing up, I would tell my dad that I needed a Sega Genesis or whatever the thing out was. And I would tell my dad I needed, my dad would always respond the same way. You need food and a little bit of water and that's it. Right? Everything else is a want. Everything else is not a need. You may say you need a Genesis. You, don't, you can mow lawns and make money to get a Genesis. Right? So a good father knows what we need. And what we're saying here is, God, help me understand the difference between a want and a need. And I'll tell you what, especially in Orange County, there's so many things that we're going, I know I have this, but I want that. I know I logically should be happy with this, but I want that. And this is, this is part of the prayer saying, God, would you help me decipher between a want and a need? And I also realize that, God, you provide everything that I need. And also I realize that everything I have is from you. And so, God, I don't want to waste everything. Part of this prayer is an understanding that literally everything I have, and you may look at it and go, well, Taka, I earned that. Sure. But who gave you the gifts that you have? There's certain things that you do to make an income that come naturally to you that don't come naturally to somebody else. Where do you think that comes from? Where do you think those gifts and talents come from? And you may take time to hone them, but here's the thing is I could practice all that amount or spend time training. I still wouldn't be able to do what you do naturally because you are gifted by God. So everything that we have comes from God. And because of that, if everything I have comes from God, then I don't want to waste anything that God gives me, right? Because ultimately, if we understand that, then everything we have is stewardship. And anything you are a steward of, you'll be held accountable for. So there will be account of, okay, Taka, how did you do with the finances, with the time I gave you, with the influence I gave you? That wasn't for you. My kingdom come, right? How could I be selfish then also with the things God gives me all the time with our kids, not to put them on the spot, but we'll buy them things like, you know, like groceries or like fun stuff, like you each, each pick a bag of chips or whatever we're doing. We like to eat really healthy in our house. Uh, so we'll give them something. And then inevitably there are times, oh, so rare, but where they won't share with somebody. And they won't share the thing that like we bought them, right? And the whole thing is like, do you ever want us to give you more things? Did, oh, did you buy those? No, who, who are those from? Well, then give like you were given, 
right? Give generously like we were given generously to you. And it's the same way God is saying to us, how can I be selfish when everything I get is from God? And then it says this, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us our sins as, as we forgive those who sin against us. This is an understanding that I do stupid times 10. And you guys feel this way? Not about me, but more about you. Like where you like do stupid things over and over and over again, the things you don't want to do, you end up doing. So many times you'll leave a conversation, like maybe you, I don't know about you, but I say dumb things all the time. I don't mean to. I feel like I'm really awkward socially. And whenever I'm done hanging out with friends or whatever, I get back to my car and I'm like, why the heck did I say that? I just feel so dumb, right? I understand that I need forgiveness. This is a recognition of that. I need forgiveness. You know what it says? It, doesn't, it says forgive us our sins. It doesn't say forgive us our mistakes. There's a big difference. Big difference. What it says is sins, willful, intentional, premeditated, selfish, me first, others, maybe, sin, sin. And the problem with sin, the reason why God harps so much on sin is that sin separates. Sin separates out of relationship. Anytime you sin against your friend, it's not the same anymore, isn't it? And put it this way, I'll, I'll make this real simple. Think about the last time you sinned against God. Right? Ultimately, whenever we sin, we sin against God, right? Think about the last time you did that. How was it the next time you walked into worship? It's different. It's different. Because sin doesn't change the way God loves you, but it changes the way you love God. It separates, and you feel that separation, right? So it creates distance. And where sin separates, forgiveness and reconciliation draw close. Sin separates, forgiveness and reconciliation draws us nearer together. And then it says this, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This is kind of the kicker because it says forgive us as, in the same way, in the same manner, in the same ratio, like we forgive others. So there's a really, <laughs> read some commentaries on this passage because it's really interesting. I'm not saying that God won't forgive you if you don't forgive other people, but I'm not not saying it either. Because the text kind of seems to allude to that. That if you don't forgive others, you're not in a position to ask God to forgive you. Just think about it. And why would God say this? Why would, when, when, when Jesus when we asked Jesus how to pray, why would Jesus put this in there? Because a good dad doesn't want his kids separate from each other. A good parent doesn't want kids separate from each other. We all do this intuitively, those of us that are parents, right? If you have multiple kids or your kid hits the neighbor kid or whatever the situation is, right, steals their crayons or whatever, what do you do? You make one kid go to the other, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, say, I forgive you, I forgive you. And then pre-COVID, you'd say, hug it out, right? Why? Why do we intuitively do that? Right? Even though they're doing it kicking and screaming, we're trying to build habits. Why? Because we know sin separates. Forgiveness draws close. And there's no sweeter thing as parents, right? You know this. There's no sweeter thing than when you see your kids playing together, laughing together, having fun together. And there's no frustrating thing like seeing them fight or argue over something stupid. Right? I know it never happens to anybody else's family, right? There's nothing more frustrating. You're like, oh my gosh, it's not that big of a deal, right? Suck it up, move on, just say you're sorry, right? Why? God's the same way. 
He doesn't want us to fight about now more than ever in 2020, there is just landmines everywhere of things we can fight about, right? Forgiveness needs to be more. So why does God ask us to forgive? Because he wants something from you? No, because he wants something for you. Because think about this. You may have a hard time forgiving people, okay? Holding grudges, grudges become bitterness, become festering wounds in our hearts, becomes things we think about at one in the morning that we can't stop thinking about. We see that person at Trader Joe's and we're like furious again. We see something that reminds us of that person and it triggers it all over again, right? Is that healthy? Is that what you want your best friends to feel? Does that have positive fruit? Does unforgiveness and bitterness, does it ever bubble up in worship to God? Does it ever bubble up in joy? Has anyone ever said, I, didn't, I wasn't a Christian, but I saw the way that person never forgave me? When I saw the way that person held a grudge against me for 10 years, it made me want to be a Christian. Made me want to follow their God. You ever had that happen? No. That's being a bad ambassador. That's not extending the values of heaven to where you are. Again, this year especially, and then it ends with don't let us yield to temptation, or you may have memorized it as lead us not into temptation. If you read any commentary on this, they'll tell you that this is somewhat rhetorical. Obviously, God's not going to lead you into temptation. What this is, this, this is a commitment that as long as I stay close to God, as long as I let him lead me and I stay close to him, that sin habits will never form. It can't form. Because wherever God is, there's light and sin can't grow in the light. Temptation can't grow in the light. And so there's this idea of I want to stay close to you and follow you wherever you go, and I know you'll never lead me into temptation. So that's the Lord's Prayer. Well, what's the point? What's the point? The whole thing is about presence. The whole thing with the Lord's Prayer, the whole point of praying is not to, for God to give you stuff or to get God, to get the words just right so God does what you want him to do so he's your best supporting actor. It makes you look really good. That's not the whole point. The point is presence. God is with you. God will provide guidance and forgiveness and your needs as long as you stay close to him. So we wrote this down. and it, You put it on the screen. The point of prayer isn't presence. It's about presence. You need to see it written down because it doesn't make any sense otherwise. The point of prayer isn't presence. It's about presence. The point of prayer is not about presence, it's about presence. And then he tells this story to drive it home, verse 5. It's a really weird story, but he, this is Jesus talking, it's verse 5. It says, then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, okay, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. Get out of here. Verse 8. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, because he's really annoyed that he came to him at midnight, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Because of your shameless persistence. A lot of times we'll read this as like, yeah, so I'm going to keep on asking God for that Cadillac. And I'm going to keep asking God because then he'll eventually do it. Well, let's see if that's the context. Verse 9. And so I tell you, keep on asking, you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, anyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. He goes on. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, will you give them a snake instead? Or if, you, if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. You'd have, you'd, child Protective Services would be called, right? So then he says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give you all the stuff that you want? Is that what it says? So if you sinful people know how to give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father answer all your prayers about whatever you want him to give you? No. It says this. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. There's a theme that comes over and over again in Jesus' teaching. Is that the greatest gift God could ever give is his presence. Jesus didn't die on the cross so we can get stuff. Jesus died on the cross so we can have a relationship with, with God. We have access to the presence of God. Again, the point of prayer isn't presence. It's about presence. Look at it this way. A lot of times we can look at prayer as like an app on your phone, right? So if I want to buy stuff from Amazon, which I don't know about you, but I feel like Amazon comes to our house every day uh, with just anything. Like if we're watching TV at 11 o'clock at night, I'm like, you know what? I need hand sanitizer. Boom. Amazon will be here in one or two days. So it's always at home. I feel like our whole recycling bin is just Amazon boxes. Anybody with me, right? So, so you download an app to get stuff from Amazon. And a lot of times we can look at prayer the same way. I need to download this app called Prayer. I need to start praying so that God will do stuff for me. Right? That's not the thing. Look at prayer as less of an app and more of an operating system. As a whole way of doing things. Any of you guys that are iPhone people, my blue friends uh, here, uh, any of you guys that are iPhone people, those of you guys that are not blue friends, you know who you are and I'm praying for you. Uh, Apple just released a new iPhone update and it dramatically changed the way everything looks, right? It's not a new app. It's a whole new operating system. And it's a little disconcerting, a little like jarring at first, right? That's the way prayer is supposed to be. Prayer is supposed to be a posture of life, not a thing you do on the side. Prayer is supposed to be a posture of life that says, Father, you are first. I, you are dad. I don't want to see you as a cop. I want to see you as my father, a loving heavenly father, Right? hallowed be your name. May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May everything that you want to see done, would I be part of making that happen with the limited influence and resources that I have? That I want to give my finances, my time, my talents to expand the kingdom of God. And then God, will you, su will you supply all of my needs? Everything that I need, would you supply? I trust you. I'm going to sleep good tonight knowing that you will supply all my needs. I'm not going to worry and stress because I know you're going to give me everything I need. And you're going to help me decipher between wants and needs. And everything that you do give me, I'm going to give away whatever you want me to give away because I know you're going to provide everything that I need. And God, would you help to forgive me? And would you help me to forgive other people? Would you help me to have no distance between you and me? And would you help me to not have distance between me and the people you want me to love? And God, would you lead me? Not into temptation, but would you help me to follow you? This is not an app to get stuff, what you, whatever you want. This is a, a posture of life. I'm going to end with this story, and then we're actually going to take uh, communion. And there's a story, and some of you guys may have heard this. It's, there's this dad with a, like an elementary school-aged kid, and 
for some reason, he's home and the kid's home. I don't know if they're in, in, in the pandemic and he's working from home, but you guys know how hard this is sometimes where you're like trying to work, where you're also activity director for your child, especially in the nine months of their summer break. And he was reading the newspaper and this kid was like, what are we doing now? What are we doing now? And he goes, okay, here's something that'll keep you busy. And he saw this full page ad of this globe. And he's like, okay, this globe is like green and a lot of blue. If I make a puzzle out of this, it's going to keep him busy for a long time because how is he going to get this blue piece? Where he, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to keep him out of my hair for at least an hour. So he cuts the paper up into uh, elementary size, uh, appropriate size pieces. And he says, okay, put this together. Tape it back together until it's a, a globe again. And then we'll go from there with the next activity. Well, five minutes later, the kid comes back and he goes, I'm done. I'm done. The dad's like, you got to be kidding me. That should have taken you way longer. And sure enough, he goes there, and, the, and the, the globe is all taped together. Perfect. And he goes, how in the world did you get it done so fast? Well, the kid goes, well, I, I kind of cheated, but he flipped it over, and there was a full-page ad of this guy in a suit. And he just goes, I did the other side, because when I put the man together, the world came together. When I put the man together, the world came together, and that's... That's what prayer is all about. Prayer is not about getting God to do what you want. Prayer is about putting the man together right. And when you put the man together right, the world comes together. I would even say this. Any stress, anxiety, anything where you feel like, why don't they just, why, the, the, the tension in our lives. My guess is if you were to go back to the Lord's Prayer, there's something off that caused that tension. Something off that caused that anxiety. That if we just consistently pray this, it realigns our heart. It sets the man's heart right or the woman's heart right. So we're going to end by taking communion. And here's my big question for you is what can you do to shorten the distance between you and God? What can you do to shorten the distance between you and God? The old timers would say, what can you do to draw close to God? So we're going to sing a song here, and we're going to, JP's going to lead us in communion. Um, but let me pray uh, for us. All right. God, I just thank you for being so faithful. I thank you for being good. And God, I pray that when we pray, would you set our hearts right? God, would you change our hearts' posture from God, would you do this for me, to God, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I expand your kingdom? Would you lead, not us? God, we don't want to be people that ask you to bless the stuff that we're doing. We want to do the stuff that you want us to do, and we know it'll be blessed. And we thank you for it, God. As we take communion, would you be first in our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen.